Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and on this episode we head to LA with Michelle-Marie Jacot. Michelle is a poet, singer, songwriter and actress. Her no-nonsense DIY approach to publishing and promotion has attracted a growing audience and her 2019 debut, Death of a Good Girl, was a Barnes & Noble bestseller. Her new pamphlet, Deteriorate, criticises and questions the digital age and the effects our modern world has had on humanity. Here she is, ironically via Zoom, with a poem. Alright, so this is called Correction. The problem with technology and making notes on the interstate is the constant rearranging of what it thinks I have to say. The word porn for the word poem, an example from today. Who do you think I am? If I wanted to write about porn, you would know about it, trust me. And you can't correct but never will be anyway. Don't change the words from my mouth to my screen just because you're unsure about what you want to scream. Great, uh, that's an experience I think we can all relate to and have come across in one form or another. Um, did that actually happen with the poem porn thing? It did. I was. I probably shouldn't admit that I was making notes and writing while I was driving, but I was in it. I just looked down briefly and I think I was making a to-do list or something like that. I don't even remember what it was, but I was writing the word poem and I looked down and my phone said porn. And I was like, this is so ridiculous. Just the things that our phone does, especially for something that's supposed to be helping us, that's just completely changing the meaning, taking it so out of context. And it just, yeah, I was just so caught off guard. And like the poem says for what it thinks I have to say, it's just, it kind of blows my mind that technology like thinks it knows better than we do when we're trying to do or say something. Yes, and uh, you have to wonder a bit about the people who program these things. Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily writing the word porn more than I am poem, if at all. <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, it's, it's a common experience. Uh, how did it end up becoming a poem? Yeah, I think, I think just that experience, it just, since it was such a drastic change, it took me so off guard. And then I just started thinking about all the times that that very thing had happened where it was something, it wasn't just fixing one little letter or changing one thing, which often I feel like when I do that, it doesn't help me in that scenario. But I thought of all the times when I had been typing something and it changed whatever I was saying to you know an ex's name or something you didn't wanna see. And then it just can take you to a whole other place to something you don't wanna think about. And it's just kind of this like, Without your permission, it just brings you somewhere else completely than what you were actually saying. Yeah, yeah. Again, you've uh, written a collection about this uh, kind of thing. Um, was this poem early in that collection? Yeah, so this one was one of the later ones, one of the last ones, I would say. Um, but the collection came from actually what had happened was or the inspiration for why I actually made it into um, a chat book was, or a pamphlet. I basically got a literary agent last year and he was like, I'll represent you, everything is great. And then the next day he goes, oh, bad news. You actually, you have to join poetry TikTok. Like you don't have enough followers. You have to get your followers up. 
And I was so mad and just so angry at all this that I literally, I went in and I had, I remembered I had had a handful of poems just about my disdain for social media in general, but I was like, you know what? I have enough. I'm just going to write. I'm going to make this a book. I'm so mad at this guy. And so I had a third that I reworked that were already written, a third probably that I wrote on the day that that happened. And then a few trickled after, which was correction was one of the ones that trickled after. But yeah, this basically is all because of that experience. Oh, it's a great motivation. Yeah, right, exactly. The correction poem, how quickly did you, were you able to sort of work that out, take the experience and turn it into the poem? I think initially, because I was driving, I, I probably just made some note in my phone, like maybe a few lines about, I probably just had the line about the word porn for the word poem. And then I remember, I, I came back to it, I thought of it a few weeks later, oh, you know what, actually, this was before that happened, because, yeah, this was one of the ones that I had just previously written from being mad about uh, the internet and technology. But yes, because then I remember I was in a parking lot, and I just randomly thought of it, and I actually sat there for like 10 minutes of this, I was just sitting in this parking lot at the Grove, this mall in LA, and I just wrote it there. I don't know why, that's kind of how it happened. I, I feel like I write a lot like that, though, generally, and it's kind of very, like, on the spot, and... I don't want to say channeled for a poem like this. This wasn't necessarily channeled, but it's kind of like free flowing. And I find that often, even if I go in and try to edit afterwards, the first version is usually what is best or easiest to read. Because I think, I think over editing can kind of take away that like magic or relatability of something when someone just reads that and goes, oh yeah, that's correct. It, I don't think it needs all the like big language or like, you know, fluffing it out like that. Yeah, um, I think uh, it can often be a, an idea gets planted in your mind and then at some point it comes to fruition. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think you can't judge it if it does come quickly. You can't say, oh, well, that was too fast or I didn't edit that very much. So it must not be done. I didn't work hard enough. I think that's I think that's completely wrong. I've spent, I think, the last year over editing things and then I'll set it aside and I go back and the very first thing that I wrote from like six months to a year ago, I'm like, oh, that that worked. That was fine. I didn't need to put all this pressure on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, sort of uh, reassuring to know it can be like that sometimes. You don't have to keep editing. Right. Um, and so, as I said, this kind of experience with technology is something that we'll all be familiar with, but... Um, how would you go about taking those experiences and turning them into poetry? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, well, I think even just thinking of them as poetry off the bat, you can just kind of take that pressure off because when I started writing, I didn't think, it never even crossed my mind that it was poetry. I was just writing my experiences, whatever I felt in that moment, just like almost like just keeping a journal that happened to rhyme in my case. And so I think even just removing the idea of it being poetry itself and just writing whatever you feel like writing at that time. And of course you can shape it later and edit it later, but I think, yeah, just writing off intuition is helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have a, an, ex an exercise to um, 
uh, write a poem from these kind of experiences. Uh, would you like to, to uh, talk us through that? Yeah, I think I think the best way to maybe get poetry out of this kind of thing is, like I said, like that changing from an ex's name, or in my case, from porn to poem, like it's some, think of something that has given you an emotional reaction, not just like a word that changed that didn't, you didn't think of, but think of a time, cause I'm sure like we've had phones for how long now, and this has happened to everyone, I'm sure. So I just really think getting to the root of that and finding an emotional connection with it would be helpful to write a prompt or it could not be. I mean, everyone writes in different ways. There's no one way to do anything or maybe something that changed that made you laugh or a word you never heard of or you were writing something, maybe it was the opposite. It wasn't something you liked and changed to someone's name you hate. Maybe it changed to someone else's name and then you remembered that. There's just, there's so many things that can change. Just anything that was as, I think as you said, like a mistranslation mm. that changed your thought about it. Yeah, uh, what I like about this prompt is it's made me notice those things more and uh, think about their potential and uh, who knows what that might uh, inspire um, going on. Um, but I did uh, attempt to uh, write a poem using uh, this prompt and um, what actually inspired me uh, wasn't a, a, a real um, experience like yours, but something that I've noticed happens a lot, which is where when you're writing a word, it'll give a lot of suggestions as you're writing it. And then when you finished the word, it'll display the word you wanted to write in quotation marks as if it's questioning it. And it often happens with uh, very uh, common words. And I, I always find that slightly odd and amusing. So um, that was uh, the inspiration uh, behind this short poem. And doesn't really have a proper title yet, but it goes like this. I like, I look, I live, I love, quotation marked in disbelief, as if it's not really a word or not one that applies to me. But I do, I look for love, I live to love. The only question is what? I hit space, but there's no suggestion. Wow, that's incredible. I love that. And what doesn't apply to me? Oh my gosh, that's, wow, that's fantastic. And that's that's exactly it. it. It thinks, it's like this device somehow thinks it knows better than you who you are and what you're trying to say and what you're looking for. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it can be frustrating and a, a bit terrifying if you start to humanize this technology. Um, uh, oh, so there's a potential for a lot of science fiction there. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, an interesting um, exercise to respond to. And I hope everyone listening will um, start, you know, uh, paying attention to the predictive text and um, looking at the poetic uh, possibilities and uh, as always please share them um, whatever you come up with it would be great to read them and uh, share them on the blog or podcast so um, we should uh, talk a bit more about um, uh, where you're from and what you do um, you're uh, 
talking to me from uh, LA, um, not a place I, I know. Uh, what's the uh, poetry scene like there? Yeah, so funny enough, I, I was never very in the poetry scene. I actually started until recently, I actually started out as a singer songwriter and in my first collection uh, that I put out in 2019, it's called Death of a Good Girl. It was pretty much, I had gone through all my notes and I had all these lyrics essentially that never became songs. And I was going through them and I was pretty much like, well, these are pretty much poems. Like I need to get this out. Like I've written all this work and it's just sitting in my phone. Like I wanna do something with this. And so I essentially compiled lyrics and just made it into this book. And that's what the first book became. So that's kind of how I, my step into poetry. And then funny enough, after that is kind of when I started actually really delving into the, the bigger poetry scene and getting more of a hold on that, which I think this just reminds me, I got funny again after I published my first book, but I got the writers and artists yearbook and I was reading this little excerpt that said, like, this is the way of poetry. This is how things go. You submit to magazines, you get in a magazine, you publish a pamphlet, and then you publish a collection. And I did, I did quite literally the opposite of that. I published a collection and then I'm about to publish a pamphlet and I've never been in a magazine. So it just goes to show that there's no one like right way to have a writing career or a creative life. And there's no, no one to tell you that you can or can, cannot do something and that it has to be a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And um, how did you go about getting uh, that first collection published? So I actually, I self-published it through Barnes and Noble. And what I did afterward was I, I physically called I think 400 Barnes and Noble locations and asked them if they would stock it and then just kept up with like where it was sold and where to restock it. And I went to the Grove in LA, the Barnes and Noble there it has been like just crucial to this whole process and putting my first book out. They were the first people to stock it and like really believe in it. But it was all just kind of hustling by myself and doing this by myself. But I mean, it, it's, it seems to have have worked, I guess, but yeah, just, just again, there's no one way to do anything and you can like, despite you should get a publisher, you should do this and there's no way, like there is a way, you just have to find it. Yeah, and uh, what's the reaction been like to that book? It's been, it's been very good. It's been, which is great. Like I'm so, especially like I said, since it's literally just me calling Barnes and Noble, which is for if UK listeners don't know, like the Waterstones of the US, I'm sure they do, but just in case. And so, yeah, it's been crazy. Like every time I'll get a stranger, which this is kind of funny, I find because technology does have its upsides, but every time I get for connection, every time I get a like, message or a review from a stranger, like some girl on the other side of the country or in another country that has found this book and it has meant something to them or helped them in some way it's just it blows my mind it's 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 a crazy thing it's a crazy thing that poetry and writing can do to for connection yeah and uh, you obviously have a lot of uh, drive both in terms of creating and putting your stuff out there where does that come from you know I'm not really sure. I, I, I don't know. I've always been that way ever since I can remember. And even if I have a day 
where I think something isn't going to work out, it's kind of like, well, what, what is the alternative? Like, I'm always going to keep pushing because the other option is you just stop and then what? So it's kind of like this, like, well, no, even if someone tells you like, this is the end or you think nothing is possible after this, it, I kind of just think, well, no, it has to be because this is my life and I'm going to make something of it either way, like regardless of what other, what other people might think, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you've had a collection, the pamphlet out, and you've got uh, another one um, that's coming out. How have you uh, developed as a, a poet uh, over that time? Yeah, that's what this last year has been super helpful for, I think, because I've had so much time to actually really delve into it. And I think my poetry has changed quite a bit because like I said before, they were they were lyrics. So I never was necessarily writing poetry on purpose. And this time I I really was. And I, I do feel like it's changed a lot and progressed a lot. So I'm really excited about that. But yeah, and I kept I kept thinking during lockdown that I wasn't writing anything because I wasn't living, but I, I was writing. It was just all about what was going on. And I didn't realize until later, not dissimilar to the first book, that I did have a collection, my next full collection. And that, or some semblance of it right now, and that it was what I was living at the time. I just didn't know or consider that to be anything that was like worth talking about. And it's I, it's funny. I find like in hindsight, I only know what I had to say or what was going on. It's never really in the moment, which I feel like that also helps creativity. And again, to take the pressure off is you don't have to know what you're doing exactly when you're doing it. You just have to trust that if you keep putting one foot forward and showing up for your creative self that something will come of it one day. Yeah, and um, are there any other poets or artists that have been particularly inspiring or people you've worked with? Yeah, I haven't worked with her, but that would be a dream. But Patti Smith has been my biggest influence and idol throughout all of my creative and writing life because when I think of her, I, I think of her, of course, as a poet, but she's just someone who, to me, is the embodiment of art. She is an artist, a poet, a writer, a singer, a songwriter, a performer. She is just, she is someone who doesn't worry about any of the logistics of it. She just is, and she creates and is free to be who she wants to be and says what she wants to say. And I think, I think we could all use a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very strong uh, creative force. And um, what do you do apart from poetry? Are you working? Yeah, so right now I'm just working on these books. I have this chapbook that's about to come out in July and then working on the next one. And then I also, I still do uh, music, singing, songwriting, and then I do a bit of acting, which that was all kind of slowed down the last year as I focused more on po poetry and how and things were kind of closed down, but yeah, it's all, it's picking up back now. So I hope to continue doing all of those things. Yeah, it's uh, quite common for uh, uh, people to be involved in a few different uh, uh, creative activities. Do you find those uh, different things play off each other? I definitely do. I think sometimes people think you only need like one focus at a time, but I actually find it helps creative blocks or it helps uh, open like inspiration in ways you wouldn't have thought of before because you're kind of playing with different parts of your brain or at least at least different different things, different genres, different mediums. So I actually feel like 
the more I work on a few different things, I get more work done in all of them at once. It really does feed into each other. Yeah. And with music, uh, have you um, released anything? Um... I have not yet. I was actually about to record my what would be finally my first album, like the like right before the first lockdown hit. And then a bunch of other logistics got shifted because of that. But I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping next year that that will finally happen because it's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, we should uh, hear a bit more of your poetry. Yeah. Okay, so this is the first poem of the chapbook, and I it's actually the first one that I thought of when that agent, <laughs> when that whole thing happened. Uh, and this was there, I had just a first version of this, and this was the first thing that I changed and said, you know what, I'm going to make this a book. And I remember this poem that I had written a long time ago. So this is Future Libraries. I would pay one million anything to find one human staying sane. My soul is going broke for meeting bodies missing brains. Robots seeking validation for tickets they refuse to pay. Who can't press a heart-shaped button if it's not of someone's face. If you're not on top of someone famous, no one cares about your day. Shut up and show us what you ate for breakfast. Have no opinion on the way. Tell us what you look like, not a word of what you think. Only tell me what your age is, your sex, your height, your weight. The new training is as follows. I haven't read it, but neither have they. Step one, forget how to live. Step two, unlearn how to read. I wonder what they teach in schools these days and what kinds of robots these robots will breed. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a rough edge there. I can uh, imagine some of those lines as uh, punk lyrics almost. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I hope that Patty Smith influence maybe comes through a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely uh, reflect uh, times. Is your latest collection? It's uh, you sort of it's about um, the last year and lockdown. Am I right? Yeah, so it's called Afterglow, and I'm hoping to release it beginning of next year. And it's funny because. This is one project uh, that is is taking so much time, which is something with poetry that I'm not used to because I've never, like I said, the first book wasn't intentional. I kind of just did it in hindsight. But this one, I feel like it's growing and morphing into things I didn't expect. At first it was sort of just lockdown poetry and it still is, but the title is Afterglow. And I realized I had been trying to finish this book and be like, I need to be done with this. This is over. I've been writing this for however long, like, and I realized, oh, we're still, we're still living in that. We may not be in lockdown or coming out of it right now, but or we are coming out of it, but we're still in that space. So I don't know that I have the like reflective state that I need to about it. And it's afterglow because that's um, like a light after the like or a glow sorry after the light has disappeared and I realized we're not necessarily in that glow part yet and I want to see where that goes and what else could come about and give myself the room to live that before I write it. Yeah it's a interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of like the first it's kind of in in stages too which again is just I don't know where we may not be at the final stage yet. So I don't know what it might be, but the beginning is kind of like 
kind of like punchy, just like funny lockdown stuff. And then there's some more serious stuff. And then the end is more hopeful and what could go right after this. Like I have an ending poem called, the last poem is called Terribly Right. And I, I don't know that it's in its final stage right now, but it's basically like, or I can actually, I can find just the last stanza of it, uh, which again, might not be in its final stages, but just so we can get a little taste of it. What if all the hopes you had here were not just dreams of a life? What if the worst has already come to pass and everything from here on out went terribly right? And yeah, I just feel, I just feel hopeful for the future and what's to come. And like I said, we're still, we're still kind of in it. So I don't really know the extent of what the afterglow will be, but I'm hoping it's something like that where not everything goes terribly, but, but goes terribly right. Yes, yes, there's uh, going to be a lot to process um, and, uh, you know, poetry will play an important part in that as it has through everything else that's happened in human history. You're in LA now, but I believe you have plans to come over to the UK. Yes, I am in the midst of sorting out, how, yeah, sorting out moving there. So. I'm not sure of a date when, again, this pandemic has just been <laughs> crazy, but yes, I have plans to move there and will hopefully in the not too distant future be living in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, at the moment, uh, going to the next city seems like a, a big step, but right. um, I, uh, yeah, hope you can uh, get over here. Whereabouts are you uh, going to be based? In London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. um, have you always lived in LA? I have. I grew up about an hour from LA technically, but I was there so often. I would always go to concerts and shows and different things. And I was out there, I would like skip school. Like I, I basically feel like I lived out there even though I didn't, but I was there like half the week anyway, but in a, in a drivable distance. But yeah, I've always, I've always been in LA, weirdly enough. I feel like it's odd to find someone who's actually sort of from there. Right, yeah. Well, um, London will be uh, different, but uh, it's a yeah. uh, cosmopolitan place. And um, yeah, uh, maybe you'll even uh, make it over to Norwich at some point. There's a good uh, poetry scene here. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. Over the last year, I've really looked into the UK poetry scene and it's it's so it's just so rich over there, which I feel like is something that might be lacking here. I just, yeah, I just, I love it over there. I love, yeah, I can't wait to explore and go hopefully all over the UK, not not just London. I can't wait to explore all the poetry all over the country over there. Well, it's uh, been a pleasure to uh, give you sort of first virtual step into the UK scene. And um, uh, it's been great uh, hearing your uh, poetry and talking. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been this has been great. Yeah, um, uh, would you like to finish with another poem? Sure, I will read. Uh, so this is one of the last poems. I'll read the last two if that's all right, actually. They're quite short. So this second to last poem is called Personal Best. Please let me keep my insides inside where they belong. My body may not be a temple, but of it I've grown quietly fond. These limbs that let me wander hold my head up when the rest is down. 
I've been feeding, reading stories to it for almost 26 years now. Please don't make me burn my house and all its stories to the ground. It's the only one I have, the one thing I'd take with me if I had to leave right now. If I'm forced to give it all away, there will be nothing to be found. They'll dig up a still life portrait of a girl and scratch their heads because she was pretty, but she's missing a mouth. Let me hold my dignity as I watch the world go down, even if it's foolish, even if words won't save me now, even if I end up buried with just some paper in that mouth. Let me dig my way to China, even if we're headed toward the ground. Even if we end up sinking, all my screaming for nothing, I wanna say, at the very least, I tried my hardest not to drown. Even if I'm known as the girl who thought she could escape this inevitable sinking, grow gills somehow. And I never let anyone or anything turn my insides out. And this last poem is called Your Advantage. Now is the perfect time to learn how to dance as if they're not watching because simply they aren't. And if they are, anything too embarrassing will be forgotten almost as soon as they saw it, I promise. They're only worried about themselves and what they might look like. And these are the times when that part works out pretty nice. Some wise words to finish there from Michelle Jacquin. You can find details of her books and today's writing exercise on the website poetrynonstop.com. I hope you get a chance to put aside whatever device you're listening to this on and enjoy the natural world without interruption. But when you are texting, emailing, tweeting and so on, pay attention to what autocorrect is doing and consider its poetic possibilities. And as always, share what you've written. Please send submissions via the website or poetrynonstop at gmail.com to be featured on the blog or a future podcast. Until then, thank you for listening and keep writing.